Hello and welcome to Weeb Spawn. We talk about anything and everything related to anime and gaming. We are by no means experts, just huge fans. I'm your host, Bobby, and with me is Joshua. Hello, Bobby. Glad to be doing another episode. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the game Stormbound. And there's not really spoilers for this game. <laughs> yeah. So, Stormbound... Its initial release was in, or was on September 18th of 2017. Its developer developers were Sheepyard and Paladin Studios, and the publishers were also Sheepyard and Congregate Incorporated. The platforms that it was released for were Android, iOS, Mac, and uh, also it was released on Steam. So for the Windows computers, Th- that's about all the information that we could really get that was of importance because they don't really have much on their website about the history of themselves and their wiki doesn't really have a whole lot of info and there's really not a whole lot of information to give about this this is a card game so as you said there's no spoilers so there's not really a whole lot you can really dive into this game but one thing i really liked about this game is the card aspect and I played this game when I was slacking off in in my college classes and I found this well actually a friend recommended this game to me because we would play in the back of class when we did not want to pay attention and yeah we would battle each other and all that good stuff so yeah eventually I decided to get Bobby involved because <laughs> He is really into card games, especially uh, online card games and ones where you customize your deck and stuff. So I think you should probably give a little bit of information on this game since it's more your style game, even though I do really enjoy it. So Stormbound, immerse yourself in the rich world of Stormbound as four kingdoms struggle for dominance. Construct a deck of unique and powerful cards, and then dive into real-time battle against other players. Novel gameplay combines your favorite aspects of collectible card games with the tactical strategy of board games. Play cards from your hand to the game board, and then watch your units march on the enemy base. And one thing I've realized during the research and everything is, I think this actually came out mostly for mobile, and yeah, that's when I first found it was mobile. Yeah, I think yeah. that might be the reason why the lack of systems, because a lot of mobile games usually don't have much like information regarding the actual game and whatnot, as do like other any other kind of like console or other Steam game. So I think that may have been the reason why it lacked a little bit. But yeah, I'm a, I love. The, like, collecting cards or any kind of, like, gotcha, too. I've been getting into a lot of gotcha recently. But, yeah, I especially love it when it's, like, card games. Just being able to collect new cards and seeing them and try to craft a deck around certain things, even if you think it's very niche. But when you actually craft your own deck and it works out, you just get a real good sense of enjoyment. But then there's other times where, like, it, you think it works in theory, but then you play it and it's like, 
everything just crumbles. Like, nothing works. <laughs> and you just end up going online, going to Reddit, like, all right, what are the best decks? And then try yeah, copying give me, one Give me some them. info. Yeah, I... So, I'm a big... I'm not a big card game player when it comes to, like, online games and stuff. But when I do play it, I realize I really enjoy card games. Like, I don't know why I don't get into it more because I find so much enjoyment out of it. But when I do, it's, I go all in. So this game I played for months, and I was collecting cards. I was leveling them up, getting them stronger. It just gets you hooked, like you said. There's, there's something about strategizing and figuring out the perfect deck build. And as you build this deck, it's amazing just running through players. You're just one after another, just getting this winning streak. And you're like, this deck cannot be beat. And then as you're going, you start leveling up your your cards more, and you're getting into higher tiers because you keep winning. And then you realize that deck only worked in certain situations, where when you started getting stronger and more rare cards were in other people's decks, you realize that, okay, this was a good deck 26 wins ago, and now this deck is absolute garbage. So then you have to kind of reconvene and figure out, okay, what type of strategy am I going to create now? Because other people have different ways of playing the game, and you have to figure out a way to work around that. So that is one thing that's really great about this game. So this game is a collectible card game, as we've mentioned, and it's kind of like a real-time strategy game mixed into one. It's similar to games like Hearthstones, which, honestly, that's a game I've never played. But I know so many people who have played this game and swear by it and absolutely love it. It's been around forever. This is a Blizzard game, correct? Hearthstone? Yeah, it's a Blizzard yeah, game. So that kind of explains why it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's... Honestly, I really enjoy it. But the only problem a lot of people will tell you is nowadays it's very much pay to win. Because oh. there are a lot of like overpowered cards. And, I mean, it's the same as, like, like Yu-Gi-Oh! or anything like that, where this is more based on what cards you have. They try... The, the one good thing I will say about Hearthstone is they try to balance out cards. They will, like, nerf them if it is too strong. Or what they do is they'll actually ban cards if it becomes, like too overpowered and so you, they'll have different leagues where they're like okay in order to enter this league all these cards are banned you can't have them in your deck mm. and then they'll have a separate league where it's like anything goes so they do try to like balance it out so you can still have fun and i still do have fun when i play it but like it's i can never get competitive with it because if you truly want to get competitive you're gonna have to spend some money to get those like legendary cards unless you just have god tier luck mm -hmm. and you can unlock yeah. them that is one thing about this game that's kind of nice is you can win without paying money paying money definitely helps accelerate the win process because you get more rare cards quicker you can kind of mow through lower level decks and get to the higher tiers get better prizes but you can also one thing that's really nice is every month they reset like statuses of battle progress. So you can constantly each month continue to play and rack up your winnings again. 
so you get more chances every month to unlock more cards. So it is a slower grind without paying, but it is possible to get an um, amazing deck with sheer luck, and it's not terrible odds in some cases, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, this game is, like I said, similar to Hearthstone, and it's similar to Legends of Runeterra, which is another game I haven't really played, but I've seen uh, gameplay of it, just kind of lo looking around. And also uh, Gwent, because all these, you kind of do card collection, and the game positioning is also pretty important. I just got to say, I've never played the mobile version of Gwent, which I want to, because I absolutely loved Gwent in The Witcher 3. I was obsessed with it. It was basically a game within a game in The Witcher 3, and I was almost more obsessed with Gwent at some points than I was with the actual game. And it was just a, a fun little thing. So it's, it just proves that I actually do like virtual card games. And, like, it got so popular that they really had to make that mobile version or even, I think Steam mm -hmm. might have its own, like, Gwent, just purely Gwent uh, card game. And, like you said, that is a little similar, too, because that one is not as much positioning like this game, but can't you only attack certain people in certain rows in Gwent, too, if I'm remembering correctly? Um. So, Gwent is, it's not really an attack-based game, it's more you have um like power points oh I guess. yeah 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 and basically by the end you want to have more points than the other and there are cards that can destroy certain cards and there are ways to reduce your enemies points yeah. value so it's, it's like that so it's not really an attack based game like this one because like you mentioned this game is a board game card game but yeah, Gwent is similar in the fact that you're, you're it's a card collection. But yeah, so for Stormbound, each card has a move option as well as strength. And you can only progress by moving your cards forward and basically getting them to the other side of the board and attacking your enemy base. However, unlike other card games that we've mentioned before, once you place it on a square it will actually march forward on its own until either it reaches the enemy base or gets destroyed. Uh, so this is kind of where a little bit of strategy involves because once you place it on the board, it's going to do its own thing based on what its movement speed is, what type of strength it has, and even what effects it has because there are some cards that have random movement, some cards split up into multiple groups and continue onward. So you kind of got to strategize about how you're going to place your cards. And the board is a 4x5 with each person only having 10 lives at the start, but you eventually end up maxing out your tower at 20. And at first you move f uh, only from your first row, so at the very start of the game, depending on the game mode, but typically you start only on the very first row directly in front of your base. And as your units move forward you unlock the next row. So now you can place cards in free spaces in the second row. And as they keep progressing, the border sort of continues to push forward, but you're never actually able to place directly in your enemy's first row. So you can't place directly in front of the enemy base, but you can place it one before that. Just to kind of prevent you from 
purposely locking your enemy in so they can't place enemies or units. Although there are strategies to do that because I tend to uh, limit my opponents by strategically placing cards to lock them out of the game. <laughs> it's kind of cheap, but it's part of the game. And yeah, so yeah, as you appear on the map, you just kind of move forward and you place troops on that the rows are lower. And this is where the real-time strategy comes in because placement of your troops is very important to controlling the map. As I just mentioned, I <laughs> try to... That's my main focus, is not attacking right away. It's to control the board and make sure the enemy has very little movement as possible. And if you were to, say, progress your troops six or six, three rows ahead, so you can place it within three rows, you have that ability to place on any free token but if all your enemies or all your units are destroyed your border will slowly fall back closer to your base and this is where the control comes in because if you are if, if your enemy destroys all your cards you would then have to reset your board control it's it's kind of difficult to spend i don't think i'm explaining very well but yeah it's it's a give and take. It's like the tides. It comes in and go. It comes and goes, and that's what one aspect that makes this game really enjoyable. Yeah, and like you said, with like many other card games, there are gonna de definitely be some cards that have different abilities because otherwise, it would just get very boring and old if they were just like, oh, this has three attack, this has four attack, I win. <laughs> yeah. There's different abilities like poisoning them, actually controlling minions and turning them against them, or pushing them away. There's a lot more, and it also kind of depends on like what faction you're with and all this different stuff. You can kind of tell what abilities they have, because if you're in the same faction, they tend to have similar abilities. There obviously will be slight differences, but... So if you know you're going against this deck, you're like, all right, well, I need to know or expect this and this is going to happen, which we'll get into here in just a little bit. And going back to the deck building, you get to first pick four, or you get to pick a faction out of four different factions, but then there's also neutral cards. And between the faction cards, you can only use them can only use those faction cards in your deck you can't like combine from this faction and this faction to complete your deck you can only do those faction cards and neutral cards and that's it so you can't mix and match different factions your deck is made up of only 12 cards but don't lose your cool just yet because unlike traditional card games these cards get recycled Meaning, after you use them, they can show up again. And it's not like, again, a popular one I'm sure people have played before, Yu-Gi-Oh! Where if you run out of cards, you lose the duel. And here, you never run out of cards. Once you use them, it gets like put back in your deck, and then it might show up. So that's why picking these 12 cards is very important, because you want cards that can help you like recycle through your deck so you can use them as many times as you possibly can. Now in order to place these cards, 
each one has a mana cost. And at the start of the turn, at the like very beginning of the game, if you're going first, you start out with three mana. If you're going second, you get to start out with four. And you gain one mana each turn. And any leftover mana goes unused and will not carry over to your next round. So you're always wanting to try and use as much of your mana as you can. Because, like I said, if you have four mana and you use three, that leftover one doesn't come back to the other deck at the end of the turn. It just gets lost forever. And <laughs> I I guess you could say waste. I wasn't going to, but yeah, you pretty yeah. much waste one because you can't I would use argue. It. I would argue that it's not about using as much mana as possible. It's about getting as many cards out as possible. Because there is a difference. You could have a card that uses eight mana, or you could do two cards that are worth four. And typically, I think it's more beneficial in early game to get the two four mana cards out than it would be to get the one eight. But then it depends on the strategy, because if, you, if your eight has a strength of 13, and you know that's going to run the board for a little while... It, the, there's this is where the strategy comes in yeah because like if you already have like if you already in map control and like say you have four units already on the board you might as well use that amount to put a big chunk on because chances are that next turn they're going to use all their mana to try to destroy that big one leaving your other ones free but then mm -hmm. like you said or if you notice, oh yeah, they have three groups, but they're all like one or two, then yeah, it would be better to spend like three different cards and wiping out the board. But it all it all depends on the scenario. If you're winning, I usually like if I notice I'm all the way up to the enemy's pretty much border and I have at least like two groups, I'll use a big group and be like, Alright, now you have a choice. Are you gonna let these block you next turn <laughs> oh yeah and deal with this 10 count one or are you going to destroy these two group and then leave this 10 count one for next turn and then because yeah. i had that 10 count then next turn i can play like three different cards and God, it's always my favorite thing when i have like three people about to progress to th their bases row but then i have one card that's on their row that has like a seven pack, like a seven strength. And I'm like, you need to kill this guy in order to to not lose. But if you focus on killing this guy, the next turn, these three cards are going to progress. And then you're basically going to get screwed. So I like watching people's way of getting out of those scenarios. And sometimes they shock me, but it's just such a good feeling. Yeah, so I guess when I say you want to try to use all your mana as you can... It's more as efficiently as you can because, mm -hmm. like I said, anything gets unused. So if say you have eight and you're like you really want to place this like six card, six cost one, or you could place a five and a three. Chances are the five and three are probably worth more than the six because then that six you have a leftover two that isn't being used. With the five and three, might be a better choice. But like I said. It all depends on the game scenario. <laughs> yeah. 
So, <clears throat> let's talk about the factions. Because as you mentioned, there are four of them. And the first one you get to play as, because they, they have a minor story mode, quote-unquote. It's more like a, I'd say it's more like a tutorial to get you started to learn the factions and get cards related to. And the first one is the Winter Pack. And this is the kind of the definition of a slow and steady wins the race type scenario where you rely on controlling the enemy and ramping up to very strong and powerful creatures and finishing the game with like a bang, like this huge big bang. Because the two types of units in this Winter Pack are the, uh, the Spiritual Frostlings and the Physical Dwarves. And the theme of your winter pack is all about gaining extra mana and freezing the enemies, creating big units, and just controlling everything. They, this deck lacks spawning, which is a feature that does some heavy damage early games. Because when you spawn, you're not able to keep up with it because of the low mana production in the beginning. You just focus on trying to con keep those spawns at bay. Whereas this has no spawns, so you kind of do this steady, slow intro. As long as you're surviving the beginning, you basically have a set game. Because there are creatures that will give you extra mana just by playing them. You have towers that will continuously give you mana each turn. And then freezing the enemy units is a huge bonus to this deck. Because if you freeze them, the units can't progress forward, which means they can't increase their control of the board and you basically can decide how you take out the units with very little risk of them gaining their control back if you play your cards right so as long as you can survive early games like early battle you can basically run the board and it's really hard to get control of the board back when your enemy has 20 mana per turn and they're able to empty out their entire hand and some of those cards have like 9 strength or 11 strength, 12. It gets really chaotic when you're trying to fight a winter pack. And you're ill-prepared for it. Yeah, when you like you said, they lack early game. So if you want to, what your best choice is to attack fast. Have like a lot of movement speed ones. Now it sucks because... A lot of times you won't really know what you're going against until you're like in the scenario. Mm -hmm. But even if you're like, if you're facing, if you're using Winter Pack and you're going against Winter Pack, if you happen to draw the cards first, like the RNGs on your side, and you get some high movement speed ones, definitely want to go for those first. Because, like I said, their early game is their weakest. So that's when you need to take advantage of them. But if you're good enough with the winter pack, they can freeze your movements and everything. And then you'll notice, even if you're winning early, if they manage to survive and hold off, you'll slowly see the tides going to where, like you said, eventually there's like 20 units on the board and you're just like, where did I go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then also one card that I think is... It's kind of a, a big deal if you don't get rid of him right away. It's the the hearth. So this is a unit mm. card that 
or a structure card, sorry, a structure card that you place down and it'll give the, the base stat of it is it'll give two strength to any to another friendly unit or structure. And this card can be terrifying because if they place the correct towers in the correct spots, these towers can basically become impenetrable impenetrable barriers if you don't take them out fast enough because the hearth will just continuously each turn give them more and more strength and i've had it to where the my enemy has had a tower with like 37 points of strength on it and at that point i'm just like well it looks like that entire row is useless to me i'm not wasting my time trying to destroy that tower now i'm restricted to three columns to continue down so it could be very brutal, but also you can use it to your advantage because it you can shoot yourself in the foot because if you place your tower on your own tile directly in front of your base, some things that I like to do is I let the hearth rack up the, the strength of that tower. I'll destroy the hearth or I'll leave the, yeah, I'll destroy the hearth typically so it just, um, unprogresses their their control of the board so if i can manage to destroy all their units and drop their control all the way back to their base now they're only limited to three slots that they're allowed to play uh, their units on and then i just need to control those three slots and the game is mine so sometimes you can accidentally make a tower actually be a hindrance to yourself so you have to be very careful on where you place the towers and how they gain their strength. Because if they gain the strength really close to my own base, you're going to have con complete control over the board. So it's one of those tough scenarios. <laughs> it, but it can be detrimental to your opponent. It's definitely a double-edged sword because mm -hmm. when it goes down to three lanes, yeah, your opponent can't destroy that structure, but at the same time, it's like you can't use that lane anymore. Of course, you could add more structures if you have like more that can buff out your thing. So if you can get a structure near your opponent's end that's like 30 health that is going to be hard for them, then you can place other structures in that column and kind of offset that because you're like, all right, well, now I have this whole column blocked off. The enemy is going to have to put in a lot of resources to destroy this mm -hmm. in the meantime all this is buffing my cards even if i have a like one strength card now with all these towers boom it's five strength at the cost of two mana so yeah it's real nice it can be so powerful but again this is a late stage a late game deck so you really have to work to survive in order to get this really working in your favor yeah you have to Use everything at your disposal pretty much just at last until then. But then once you get... It, actually, I think the name Winter Deck fits it well because there's a term in a lot of like mobile gaming and stuff called snowballing. And that's when you are... Well, it's kind of like the opposite. If you survive late game or you get early kills, you just progressively get stronger and stronger and stronger until... That's why it's called snowballing. It builds up to where mm. it can't kill you. Where this is basically, you just survive enough, and then they can't kill you. 
Yeah, you know, I don't think I ever put two and two together on that one. I bet that was intentional. <laughs> it could have. That's why I said it was really uh, made nice. But enough with Winter Pack. Now moving on to Swarm of the East, one of the oldest kingdoms, and it is the kingdom of the undead. They are powerful and an aggressive race, and due to their speed and big army size, they are referred to as the Swarm. The Swarm of the East has two types of units, the Archaic Undead, is that Archaic? Ac- okay. Yeah. Yep. And Herds of Satyrs. The Swarm of the East uses mechanics like unit generation, hive movement, and direct base damage to press towards a victory. Zudex, for those who are familiar with the term, but just like Zudex, they lack heavy damage in the late game cards. So this is a very early game type deck. It's almost the complete opposite of Winter Pack, where they are lacking unit spawning, a lot of these cards will be like, oh, spawn one unit ahead. Spawn one unit to the side of this. Spawn two units anywhere randomly on the board. That's why they call it a zoo deck, because it's literally like a zoo. You just flood the map with all these cards, and you try to rush to get to the enemy before they can have like high-level cards that can stop all this. Because generally with this type of deck... Your strongest unit is only about like three or four damage, but they can usually move like two to three tiles. So you usually get across the board and then you just go bam, bam, bam. Like you get five or six across the board and destroy them before they can destroy you is pretty much Mm -hmm. their play style. Yeah. And on top of that, it's all about, yeah, it's about forward progression. They're spawning. And then there's also the buffs, like the uh, add additional strength to your turns. Because as you mentioned, this has satyrs, so they have this one structure called Moonlit Airy. And basically at the start of your turn, it gives one strength to all satyrs on the board. And God, I cannot tell you how many times that card has fucked me up. (laughs) Because I forget to destroy all the satyrs and leave the undead. And then next thing you know, there's six of them on the board, and now they're all just getting buffs every turn, and it's, it gets so chaotic. Yeah, these ones you just got the. It, Zoo decks had their place, and it's hard to use them, I think, more high tier ranking. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. I think. Early on, if you really want to like breeze through, this is good because when a lot of people see like a lot of units on the board, they will spread their army thin or try to just focus on one like row so you can kind of confuse them. But like higher tier things, you'll get a lot of like cards with AoE damages. And so mm-hmm. it you can make them work, don't get me wrong. I've seen some and especially like in Hearthstone, there was a time where Zoo decks were the strongest deck because that's usually based on like certain cards that get added and whatnot. So I'm not saying you can't become high tier with a Zoo deck. Just know it, they have very distinct advantages and disadvantages. So just be aware. Yeah, I, th- 
I think one of the most powerful cards in this deck is it's like you mentioned there's an AoE um, attack. The most powerful one in this deck I believe is Dark Harvest and that's because it if you play this it's like a spell card essentially. It deals 2 damage to all enemies surrounding a friendly unit. So if you have a if you have 6 people on the board, you're basically you can possibly cover so many tiles with a, a AOE attack like that. So you can really thin out other people's decks and or other people's um, control. But as you mentioned, zoo decks are very niche and definitely early game because this just doesn't have the attack power per card, like just base card strength. It's just not there. You really need these buffs and these spawns to really get control. And you won't see... Typically, you won't see, like, late game cards are usually, like, 7-8 mana, but they usually have, like, 10 damage and, like, 1 movement speed or something like that. You won't see that here. You'll mostly see cards, like, the highest, like, 5 mana, because the point is, early game when you have 3 mana, you have 3 1 mana cards. All of a sudden, now you have 3 units, and then the other team's like, oh shit, what do I do? I can only put 1 unit down, and then the next turn... You place another three units, and that's the whole point of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely is not my favorite. It's actually, I think, personally, Winter Pack is my least favorite just because I'm not really good at the late-stage planning of a game. Storm of the East, though, is my second least, so it's it's pretty low on the list for me. The next two that we're going to talk about are some of my favorites. Um, just because of the strategy involved in them, yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of zoo decks for one. Just because I like to pack a punch, and they just don't really get the, that job done. Winter Pack does pack a punch, but it's a slow delay, and I just can't get there. So one of the ones that used to be my all-time favorite when I first started playing the game was the Ironclad Union. The rodents of the Ironclad occupy one of the richest rocks in the skies. They are very intelligent and industrious and use constructs for their hard labor. The Ironclad Union fuels its progress with ranged damage, structures, and strength boosting. One downside is the lack of area damage. So I like them. As it mentioned, they have constructs. So one of the main key features in the beginning, especially early game, is they had this card that it is called uh what is this card called oh it's the the mech workshop I fucking hate that this card. will spawn <laughs> yeah this will spawn a level two construct on the tile in front of it and on top of that when that t card spawns it also gets one movement on spawn so say i place this mech workshop on my base tile it spawns a construct on the tile in front and then that construct will move forward one. So I just progress two tiles in one turn. So it basically has a two movement speed, assuming I were to, to place it on my base tile. So it's it's a really interesting card, and this is one that is really good at forward progression before your turn even starts. So if the enemy does not control this mech workshop, they are losing potentially on board control. And I hate this card so much when it's used against me 
but of course I will use this card against enemies. If you can get that card turn one, you're almost guaranteed victory Ooh. if they don't have anything. Yes. There are definitely like spells, because it only has, if I'm not mistaken, like three health. Three or five. Yes, three, health. three health. Yeah. So it's not that it's not very strong, but this is one of those structures you generally don't put near your enemy because of the fact that it sets it. Yeah. But yeah, because your enemy can't really leave it alone because then that whole column gets occupied by a whole bunch of constructs. But mm -hmm. there are definitely ways of getting it, especially like Winter Pack. They have spells that are specifically do like three to five damage to a card. But like going off of the other two we just did, if you don't get a spell card and Winter Pack needs time to build up with this card you don't give them time because you're like deal with it now or you're fucked because mm -hmm. you could just lay that card and never use another card in that column ever again and you can use the other three so it's like you're only focusing on three while the enemy still has to focus on four and then with um, my oh no no i was about to say with swarm of the east with zudex because they're so low health that even if they have movement speed, they still would have to use like two or three cards, one card to get to the, destroy the constructs that's in front of it. And then like another card to actually reach it. And depending if it has enough strength to kill it, you still need to use like two, three cards to deal with one card for the ironclad. Yeah. My general rule of thumb, if I were to use the mech workshop, I only ever place it on my, uh, my base tiles, my base row, on the beginning, like, first three rounds. Because once the game starts going, gaining board control is fairly easy. And if an enemy were to place a structure directly in front of the mech workshop that obsoletes its ability to create more constructs, and they basically just got a permanent board control tile, unless I focus on destroying that... Um, structure card so later in the game like after like round three typically i will place a mech workshop one tile ahead of my base so that if they were to obsolete my mech workshop i can still put um creatures behind the mech so if they were to destroy it eventually i still have a unit that will progress and possibly help control the board or i at least have if they decide not to destroy my mech workshop and just obsolete it, I at least have two tiles of board control at all times until they were to destroy my mech workshop. Because I don't like the idea of putting structure tiles on my base row because of what I said earlier of how I tend to control other people when they make that mistake because they limit themselves with how many units they can spawn. So I don't like to back myself in corners. So that's one time where the mech workshop can be a hindrance rather than a bonus yeah and every deck has its limitations and stuff like and one thing with like the lack of area damage even though we're talking about like the mech workshop and stuff like i said it can work early on but as you get later on and get more cards that deal damn area damage or like i said spell cards that can attack you from afar all that build up ends up becoming useless and a lot of what ironclad does is they just focus on 
I guess they're really good at map control, more specifically column control, because of mm -hmm. the range damage and everything. But not saying you have to ignore like a column, but at the same time, if if you're the ironclad or you're facing the ironclad, and they have one really strong guy that can shoot a range, you don't have to deal with them right away. You can deal with the other columns, and then when it gets near, be like, boom, then place it to where its range doesn't matter. Or, mm -hmm. like you mentioned with Swarm of the East, that has that one card that does explosion based on where everyone else is at. If that happens, they can wipe out potentially the entire board with that. So that's the thing Ironclad doesn't have, is that area damage to reclaim map control. They have good mm -hmm. map control early on, and if they have it, they can keep it. But they, I feel what they lack is if it gets overrun, it's hard for them to get it back. Yes, I agree. So then the last faction is Tribes of Shadowfen. My favorite. This unusual alliance formed in the swamps of Shadowfen, the Toads and the Ravens, use the environment as weapons against their opponents. The tribes of Shadowfen weaken their enemies by poisoning and draining their strength, sometimes even converting them to their own side. Their downside is that they have no strength boosting cards. So what they do is a lot of poisoning, which is strong in its own right, but mm -hmm. they it, it could still take some time. So if you're up against someone that has like a 10 stack card and you poison it, yeah, each turn they lose one, but you still are going to have to put some resources towards it because it by the time it reaches there, they'll still be at like four or five strength, which is still a lot. But they also have the ones where they can convert them, so they could be a, a real hassle because if you're moving across the board and you had that 10 strength, but it started way back near your end, by the time it reached it, it could be a low, and the next thing you know, they take control of it, and now they have even more people. So they can be very advantageous, but because of all that, of stealing and stuff, they don't have strength-boosting ones that other cards have that you can easily be like, oh, this is a one-star, boom, now it's five. <laughs> yeah, that is a huge downside to them. This is my favorite deck because of the poison aspect. I never really understood it, and I, I always hated it, but if you had an enemy that knew how to handle this deck, it can be so dangerous, especially early game, because of that poison. It's, it's very scary, but they don't really have high power cards um i think they typically max out of let's see they have one that maxes out at 10 strength but that's about it i think other than that 10 card in my swarm of or yeah in in the swarm deck sorry shadowfen deck uh, my next strongest card is a six unit or a five unit so they they lack power, but they also lack strength in conversions, so they can convert enemy units to fight for them, as you mentioned. And they also have... They don't have strength-boosting cards, like you said, 
but they do have some cards that are able to take strength away from other people's like opponents if they are poisoned so it definitely becomes one of those things where you try to poison as much as possible so you can take away their strength and that's the main thing is they're debuffing the enemy while trying to keep their strength high it's it's a fun battle and i love it because of the strategy involved in that specific play style and this is where like i think they really shine against zudex specifically mm -hmm. because a lot of cards are like oh if they have three or less convert them and there's even one that can convert all of them at a tile yeah oh i love that like there's one that is destroy all the weakest tiles or all the weakest enemies and convert them into five units that fight for yourself so if you're in a zoo deck and you have your weakest enemy is two because you just spawned six of them this card will then destroy all of those two units and convert them into five units that are now fighting for your enemy it is insane not to mention they also have a, a card that's like drain all one strength mm -hmm. ones and add it to them even your own but like especially against Zudex, if they have a lot of one strength there's been a lot of times i've done that where a lot of people try to take control of the map or like after a battle because i had four and they had like five so they took like oh we just destroyed all your units but now there's like three or four units that only have one i placed this one card <laughs> Not only do I destroy four cards, I also gain four strength. Now I have a five strength card yeah. while destroying four cards. Yeah, and then you you they lose their control of the board and everything. It can be powerful. And especially, one thing that's nice about that drain card is it does affect your own units. But it's nice because sometimes your own units are poisoned themselves. And you're like, well, I'm going to lose this card next round if I let the turn turn over. So, I'm just going to drain it and take that power and put it to myself. And now I basically stole a card that was going to be no longer existing here in a turn. Can you tell, guys, that this is a very strategy-focused game? Not, not only cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely is strategy-based. And there's sure. so many ways. Like It doesn't have to be one specific way. You just got to see what cards you have and see what you can do with them. Because like you said... You could use that card to save your own cards that were going to get lost, but now instead of losing one card, it's like you just gained one strength that you were going to lose anyways. So, right. Um, what deck is your favorite? Because I think I have an idea, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Mine used to be the Ironclad. When I first started, gotcha. it was Winter Pack. Yeah, I knew you played Winter Pack a lot. Yeah, the and then after you beat me like six times in a row, <laughs> I realized the weakness of Winter Pack, and it's their early game. And so I don't have. I would love to come back to Winter Pack, but. Yeah, you started getting good with that. I remember you went back for a little bit. Because I, I got some. Like, oh, yeah, because okay. I got some he, more cards. You worked this king. <laughs> yeah, you worked out your kinks. Yeah, and so, like, it is. I. I would probably say it's still one of my favorites because of I do kind of like the slow and steady building up into where I can get like a army of like 20 and just watch it march down. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. yeah, this feel because when it does hit, 
it is unstoppable and it feels there are, so good there are some nasty dragon cards that complement winter deck oh wonderfully we'll get to dragons in just is, a little bit yeah <laughs> it is if you have a good winter deck with some dragons in it you can make a late game deck work with both late game and early game it is scary yes i try not to use dragons just because i feel like they're broken but i think they buff them pretty well to where they're still nasty but they're definitely beatable if you know what you're doing yeah so, so whew, it can be dirty so if i had to say overall i would probably say the winter pack i'm using i did like kind of how you start with ironclad i did really like them as well i got into uh them swarm of the east is probably my least favorite yeah it's and then it's a pretty close for me yeah um, but yeah, if I had to say an overall, it would probably be winter pack. Fair enough. Yours is Shadowfen, right? Like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I got. Definitely. I started using Shadowfen just because I got the Marinette or the Blood Mistress. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that card. Yeah, that. Ever since I got that, I had a lot of easy time converting it. So it kind of goes back to like what cards I get because Winter Pack, I didn't have any good cards. But once I got some good ones that fit with it, I went back. So I kind of swapped. But if I had, if they were all equal, like if I had all the cards in the game, I would probably go to Winter Pack. That's fair. I think that is a really good choice because one, if you get a good Winter Pack deck, you're unstoppable. My Shadowfen is to avoid letting Winterback get to the late game. <laughs> I know. That is literally <laughs> why I chose Shadowfen, is because of stupid Winterpack. Uh, so, we're, we're talking about all four of these packs now. And these packs are great because they have unique abilities to them in their own right. But you also have the neutral cards that definitely help bolster your deck. And... Although the neutral faction contains every single unit type in the game, three are actually unique to the unit type or to the neutral uh, packs, and those are knights, pirates, and felines. The knights they have really no special abilities. Uh, they save a few, or they have a few like uh, brothers in arms and victors of the melee, but they have yeah they're really not too special. Now felines. These are actually fairly new. When I first started playing the game, they they did not have felines. I created a deck specifically for felines because I love the absolute chaotic nature of these cards. They use this effect called confusion that basically makes enemy units potentially just go crazy. They go off course. They might walk backwards. They walk sideways. They attack their own friendlies it or friendly buildings. And it's just absolute chaos. And the feline deck that I created is not good because I don't have enough feline cards. But eventually I want to create this absolute anarchy of a deck. And I think it would be great. That just and the pirate awful. cards... What would you say? I said that just sounds awful to fight against. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely terrible. <laughs> um, and the pirate cards, they manipulate the cards in your hands. Uh, typically with discarding, drawing, or replacing in general. And this can be very helpful when you have cards that you're just like, I don't want this, and I need to swap this out real quick. So the different unit types of the neutral faction are designed to basically just be refugees from their respective kingdoms. And 
they share a portion of that fa faction's themes. But these cards can be used in any type of pack. So you, the pirate card can be used in Ironclad. It can be used in Swarm of the East, Winter, or Shadowfen. Doesn't matter. And it kind of adds this nice little balance to each hand. Because say you have a certain feature that you want to incorporate in a different deck, neutral cards are the way to do that. Especially if you need... Like, for instance, if you're a winter pack and, like, all your winter pack are really good for late game, then you can use a lot of these neutral cards for your early game because you can mm -hmm. find a lot that are only two, three mana costs. And you can use them basically to fill in your weaknesses. That feline confusion deck that you were talking about reminds me of uh, one of my friends when we got into the Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links when it, like, first came out and it was only like the original cards he made what's called a gambler's deck where oh like every card he used and spell cards were like oh flip a coin if heads this happens if tails this happens and so <laughs> that sounds awful yeah it could be really devastating for your opponent or it could be really devastating for you because like one of them was like what was it time wizard i think is what it was called where you, I don't know how it's determined, but basically, if you get it right, all your opponent's monsters get destroyed. If you get it wrong, all your monsters get destroyed. So, oh my god! yeah, it felt a lot like your confusion deck, where it's like, <laughs> you kind of hope it works in your favor, but you never know. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, so right now with my feline deck, I don't have enough felines to fill up the entire thing, so I'm supplementing it with a few dragons, because I feel like that's... Um, that's appropriate but like i have some that like on on play confuse the same number of surrounding enemies as the there are friendly units on the board so if i have a lot of units on the board i can confuse potentially a lot of the enemy's decks and it would be real nice see and that's another neutral card that could easily go in a zoo deck and help turn the tides of your zoo deck mm -hmm. that lacks the damage now all of a sudden you have six cards out because you're a zoo deck you place this confuse all those level 10 things on your opponent's side and they attack like a level five and now they you just destroyed one card and reduced another card so these that's mm -hmm. why neutrals are don't sleep on neutral cards <laughs> yeah i agree so besides neutrals we have one last one to talk about which are dragons and honestly i haven't been lucky enough to score a dragon until this morning I actually was able to get a dra It was a, like the lowest one. There were, there are a few rare ones, and I, was, I end up getting one of the few rare ones. Normally, they're like epic or legendary, but I did actually manage to get one this morning. Nice. But they are usually really overpowered from what I read about them, and each faction mm -hmm. has access to them. And a lot of them, there are some neutral dragon cards, which is the one I got, but then there are some faction specific dragons each faction has their own dragon card so it's not like oh this faction gets dragons while this one doesn't they all do but they are so powerful that a lot of people actually put the they considered them their own separate faction and i would agree i think they should be <laughs> yeah i think so too and like i said most dragon cards are either epic or legendary while a few are rare which is the one i happen to get so there's a shit ton of cards to go through, and we can't delve into every card. 
So if dragons, if dragons kind of interest you, you should try your luck and see if you can snag, snag some. Because if you do, you're pretty set in good hands. <laughs> yeah. One dragon card that's a neutral one that is an absolute monster, because I used to use this one a lot, is the the Ludic Matriarchs. And when played bordering a friendly dragon, spawn one a one strength dragon on all bordering tiles of either dragon. So when you place it next to another dragon, if played right, you can get six more units of dragons around that one. And as you level up that card, the ones that spawns just get stronger and stronger. And it is chaos. It is an absolute monster. Yeah, that's why they're oh, pretty much in that it. class of their own. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I want to get enough dragons to just make a purely dragon deck. <laughs> well, yeah. you can't make a pure dragon deck because oh, there's some faction dragons, so you won't be able to use all of them. But True, true. But there's enough dragons to at least utilize a good portion of the deck as dragon. Oh, for sure. Oh, man. They are absolutely chaotic, though. Okay, and that kind of wraps it up for the classes and um, factions. Like factions, yeah, class and factions. There are also two battle types up separate from the normal just battle. And one battle type is the brawl. And this is kind of unique because it basically it kind of makes it so you can just win prizes the more you win in a row, more battles you win consecutively, opposed to the normal battle type where you unlock chests as you go and then you claim that chest at the very end of the season. This one, you just battle, earn prizes, and if you lose all three of your hearts, you get reset. And that's basically the, the summary of that guy. He, You just keep going, and every time you hit a new set, you get just keep going i don't know and sometimes they'll do special effects for the brawl like the brawl that's currently going on as we are posting this episode is it's called heavy metal so all night cards have minus two mana so say your card cost seven mana to play it now costs five so this type of brawl will heavily benefit people who have a lot of night cards in their deck so th that will kind of change the strategy of the brawl. And there's one where it's a, there's a brawl where it will make a copy of a card in your deck and it'll put it in for zero mana. So you could have a card that potentially is a nine mana card, but it gets selected as a zero mana version and you can play that for no cost. So it definitely changes the strategy of the game. Oh, was I talking about that one? Yeah, I was going to let okay. you do it. My bad. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> the second game mode is what's called drafts, where you everyone kind of basically gets a clean slate because you don't use your cards. You get randomly picked. You pick one card from three randomly shown to you, 
until you eventually get your 12 cards. And then you end up battling against other people who have their randomized decks. And this one, you just keep going until you get three losses, and then that ends your draft. So this is one where, say you want to try to experience cards you may not have, or if you're like just starting out, if you want to see what higher tier cards are like, this is a good one because it sets everyone at zero, and then it's all based on your knowledge and hoping that like certain cards show up to try to make this unstoppable deck, or you could try it. You pick all these cards, hoping for this one card to show up, and then it doesn't, and then you could kind of be screwed. So it's a little mm -hmm. strategy and RNG. It's a nice change of pace from your other games because, like I said, you are set at a level playing field, and then it's up to you and your game knowledge and RNG on picking your cards to develop your deck. Yeah, I played drafts once, and I didn't do very well because, like you said, if you don't choose one that you hope might get you a better card later, that is what happened to me. I'm like, I'm not going to choose this one because I'll probably get a better one. And I did not. And I was utterly obliterated. And of course, next time you do it, you'd be like, nah, I'm not going to do it. And then you're like, oh, wow, that card did come up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but overall... Yeah, I, I usually stick to the, just the regular battles, but every so often I'll throw in, like, I'll do a ranked game. Every so often I'll throw in a brawl just because it's fun to try, but I don't do brawls or drafts that often. Yeah, I am pretty much the same. I stick to whatever. I'll do drafts mm, every now and then, I guess, to kind of see cards I might not already have, but sometimes I'll see a lot of cards I've already have seen before so i'm just like instead of doing this where i mean if you keep winning the higher wins you get the better prizes you get at the end but if you lose three right away then you don't really get anything so sometimes i like yeah. to just do regular battles yeah that pretty much is going to wrap us up for today on stormbound and for me, my question of the day for you guys is what faction, if you guys have played, what's your favorite faction? Or based on what we discuss on factions, if you haven't played, what faction do you guys think you're most likely going to gravitate towards? Yeah, and not really any facts for today because there's not a whole lot of information about this game out there. So that'll be it for this episode. So don't forget to show us some love and support at patreon.com slash weepspawn. And of course, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at weepspawn. And you can contact us at weepspawn at gmail.com. And that will be all from us today. I've been your host, Bobby. And I'm Joshua. And we will see you guys next time when we weep spawn. <laughs>